This is exactly right. You have to take care of you and all the cliche things you hear about taking care of yourself, but be in just this moment right now with your kid. If he, she, they are melting down, then it has nothing to do with you. It has to do with them. And how can you just be there in that moment? And that means you are doing the best parenting that you can just by maybe sitting with that kid and being there with them. Welcome to Parent Footprint with Dr. Dan. I'm Dr. Dan. This show is about making the world a more loving, accepting, and compassionate place. One parent, one person, and one child at a time. The key to raising healthy and engaged kids is for us parents to seek the same in our own lives while striving to be the best versions of ourselves each day. No matter who you are or where you came from, With increased awareness, you can be purposeful about leaving a healthy footprint for your children, your family, and all those you care about while living your own life to the fullest. Today's show is Gifted and Distractable with Julie Rosenbaum-Skolnick. Julie, founder of With Understanding Comes Calm, passionately guides parents of gifted and distractible children mentors TUI adults, trains educators, and advises professionals on how to bring out the best and raise confidence in their TUI students and clients. A prolific writer and beloved speaker, Julie hosts the Haystack TUI Adult Membership Group, which welcomes all TUI adult needles, hosts Let's Talk TUI Parent Empowerment Groups, produces virtual conferences, and publishes Gifted and Distractable, a free weekly newsletter. Her new book, which we are going to dive into today, is Gifted and Distractable, Understanding, Supporting, and Advocating for Your Twice-Exceptional Child. Located in Maryland, Julie's clients and audience hail from all four corners of the globe. Please welcome my friend and colleague, Julie. Hello, Julie. Thank you, Dan. I'm so excited to be here. I kind of feel like your intro is all parents need to hear. It was so gorgeous. Oh, well, thank you. It is our, it's our aspiration, right? It's our mission and our aspiration. And what, as I was reading it, I was thinking of you because we are really about engaging fully in our own lives to model that for mm-hmm. our children. And as I was thinking about our conversation today, I was thinking, okay, from parent... Well, well, actually, from attorney to parent to international, twice exceptional consultant, author, and speaker. Like, what a ride. What a ride. <laughs> and, you, and you missed a couple of stops, but I'm sure I <laughs> we did. We will go there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I'm, yeah, I'm parenting three awesome, twice exceptional kids. Yes. So. Yes. So, yeah. So, um, okay. The pivotal moment that you write about, um, when you're at, you're at a meeting and someone says this thing to you about your child, right? Like, wait, what about, what about the strengths? And it was this, so tell us about this, which for us now seems, you know, this is what we do and how we think about it. But when we're just regular parents out there in the world, myself being one, um, these little insights come to us and we're like, I cannot believe that I haven't been considering this before. And it opened up this whole world to you. Yeah. Well, there are so many pivotal moments in the book, Dan, that I'm like, which pivotal moment is he talking about? Um, because really the very first pivotal moment was when the person said, <laughs> when my friend an educator, a gifted educator said, why are you ignoring your kid's giftedness? That that's was, the one. That's the one I was talking about. That's yeah. the one. Okay. Yeah. So literally standing in line at Taekwondo, our two kids, our two fabulously neurodivergent kids are like, blah, 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 and connecting. And we're both of us like, thank God they found a friend, right? (laughs) (laughs) And then we became friends. And then weeks later, she came over with a stack of books for me to read and was like, I think you need to learn about giftedness because who knows what giftedness is? It means smart, right? Well, you know, okay. We all know my kid was smart, but 
I didn't realize giftedness meant so much more and that you could actually focus on the strengths that come with some of the struggles that come with being gifted, that you can focus on the strengths and that actually makes some of the struggles a little bit softer. I'm not going to say go away, but they do make it a little bit softer when you can focus on strengths and you can use strengths to support and scaffold Mm -hmm. struggles. So that was a serious pivotal moment when I told her that she was in my acknowledgments, which is where I actually talk about that at the end mm-hmm. of the book. Right. She was like, oh, you know, she, she didn't have an agenda. It was just like clear to her that I mm-hmm. didn't have this bigger picture of what gifted meant. And, and why is it such a novel and missed topic or issue to focus on what our kids are strong in and good at? Because our parenting culture, and, and, and this is not thrown out, like there's good reason for this because we fortunately have lots of intervention strategies and modalities to help kids with true challenges. However, over time, it seems like with the increase of parenting as a, as a full-time job and the focus on our kids getting ahead and making it in this competitive world, all of this focus goes on fixing, fixing, fixing. What's wrong? What's wrong? Yes. What's wrong? Yes. And the newer conversation is, well, let's focus on what works and what they're good at. Yeah, well, there's a lot of really good reasons for that. And that's a great question, Dan, because um, first of all, we in the United States, and as you said, I have, fam- I have families and adults all over the world that I support. So it's really interesting to actually get those different perspectives. But in the United States... Primarily, we have a medical model of diagnose and fix. And we have, um, all of this is genetic. So if there's any anxiety component and you see that train coming down the track and you know what they need to do to avoid or make something happen, you're going to step in and try to fix it, change it, solve it. Mm -hmm. And if that works in the short term, it doesn't teach any skills, but it also teaches the kid that, hmm, you don't really think I can do that. You must be doing that for me because I can't do that. You, mu- I'm broken. You must think I need to be fixed with all these interventions. And interventions are really important. OT, SLP, all the interventions, all the things are really important. There is a, yes. a way to talk about it in a strength-based way. But I, I think also our education system the way that we typically in probably most classrooms sit and face forward, that comes from like the industrial age when we were being trained to go onto the brand new spanking industrial uh, line mm-hmm. to, to crank things out for the industrial age. <laughs> we're not doing that anymore. We need critical thinking. We need so so there's reason we have these ingrained ways of doing things and to change something, the education system, to change the parenting, to parent a different way than you were parented. Mm-hmm. That takes time and understanding. Mm-hmm. And there's these, you know, we've thrown out the word gifted a few times. Um, there's these myths. There's these myths about giftedness, which is, oh yeah, like you said, you're just smart, man. It's all good. Like you've got all the capacity to do anything and you have all of these advantages. And of course the word brings up lots of different emotions for lots of different groups of people, understandably so. But we know that gifted individuals and particularly those who are on the go higher and higher on the intellectual spectrum and curve bell curve. um, It's not all easy. It's not all roses. You have differences. You have intensities and sensitivities. And we'll talk about this developmental asynchrony. And then you've got these people that you spend a lot of time with. I spent a lot of time with twice exceptional individuals who have all of that plus, plus some other processing or learning difference, which can make life challenging and can make feedback from the environment not particularly positive. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. And a lot of assumptions. Mm-hmm. Because if you're gifted, you should be talking about your myths that you started with. You should be gifted in all areas. If you can do that, why can't you do this? And you know, our one of our favorite sayings in the biz is, 
easy things are hard and hard things are easy. So Mm -hmm. how many of you, if you're listening to this and your kid pushes back on brushing their teeth, raise your hand. And I'm telling you right now, 99.9% of you just raised your hand because that seems to be a thing, right? Like you can solve complex equations, you can do other things, but man, those, those things, I think I, I talk about this in the book. I had a client once, their son came downstairs cute little nine-year-old stomped his feet, was in his pajamas. And he said, why is life so hard? And the parents were like, oh my God, what's wrong? What's going on? He was like, I don't want to get dressed. You know, he was in the middle of some fabulous thing and it was disrupting his beautiful flow of his brain. Right, right. right. So how do you, how do you in as simple terms as possible, would describe these terms because I know we wrestle with them all the time and we're trying to bring people into the conversation and not push people away by again yeah. some of these myths about these groups. How would yeah. you say again for our listeners like how would you what is the gifted mind the gifted person and what is the twice exceptional? Okay, so I love this question because part of my because I'm not a psychologist, I try very hard to be very lay term e like mm-hmm. i try to make things i'm going to use a pun here and you'll know what i mean in a second i try to make things digestible or perhaps easy to swallow so i'm going to mm-hmm. introduce my three layer cake of giftedness the cake oh that was a good segue right there that was yeah do you okay. like that yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> so my three layer cake of giftedness this is how i talk about it i want you to imagine a cake you can choose any flavor you want you got to have frosting on it Okay, the frosting piece, that thin layer of frosting, that's the assumption of gifted, the smart, bright potential. What we might call high achievers, what people assume gifted is, okay, that's what that's the frosting. It's above, around, and between all the layers. And then you've got these three layers, three thick layers of cake, a synchronous development, perfectionism, the other side of which can be anxiety. And then intensities are what's known in gifted parlance as overexcitabilities or shortcutted by OEs. So that's like a whole bunch of jargon I just said. Hopefully you're thinking about maybe even eating a, if it was me, chocolate with chocolate cake. Mm -hmm. But though you've got that bright, smart potential part, that's everywhere. That's the part of that gifted part. And this is where I think it gets confusing. Part of the, the gifted part that is that strength part, that's just a small part of what the experience, the inner experience of being gifted is. When you have a synchronous development, which I think you referred to before, when you have your social, emotional, physical, and intellectual domains, and you develop differently in them, some weaker, some stronger, that that seesaw effect, that why can you do this, but you can't do that, Mm-hmm. That causes a lot of confusion. It causes a lot of shame. It causes a lot of judgment. It, co- it comes from assumptions, right? So that's just one piece of it. Then you have this perfectionism, wanting to do things in a very specific way that you see in your head. And if you can't, then we may start talking about uh, anxiety, gifted underachievement, where we, if I can't do it the way everybody expects me to, or these high expectations that I've sort of internalized, if I can't meet those expectations, why bother trying? And then the third part, which is really the biggest, I think, um, they're all really important, but overexcitabilities really defines the magic of a gifted person, I think. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And as you know, Kashmir Dabrowski, the psychologist, coined this term and he found overexcitabilities in five areas, intellectual, emotional, imaginational, sensual, or you can think of as sensory and psychomotor. It's this bigger response to stimuli in those five areas. If you're intellectually overexcitable, you want to know the why, but you want to know the why behind the why. You got a rage to learn. You want to be fed through a fire hose. And unfortunately, in that industrialized classroom, mm-hmm. you might be getting something drip by drip. So when you're not met, those intensities, which by the way, can it's overexcitability sounds like a negative thing, but it can actually be a really wonderful thing that you plug into the world in this organic way, that you're emotionally mm-hmm. overexcitable. You're so empathic. You're imaginationally overexcitable. Why would you pay attention? out here when you have such yeah. a beautiful thing happening in your brain. Right. All of all of those things can cause confusion are sometimes shut down. Why are you asking so many questions? Why are you so sensitive? You're too fill in the blank. Mm-hmm. That causes a lot of shame, but that's gifted. 
okay, so 2E, <laughs> wait, Julie, you're not even talking about 2E yet? 2E is when we add in one of those well-researched conditions or diagnoses that are coexistent with the giftedness. Mm-hmm. So whether it's dyslexia, dysgraphia, autism, all of the things. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's but- when you're actually two or three or four. And then you can add gender difference. You can add culture difference. You can add a- economic difference. Those are all taken into account with a twice exceptional experience. Which we find is actually often, it's hardly ever twice exceptional. It's multi-exceptional, right? Right. These people are so complex. Now, um, going back to the cake, I like this image. So if we add the twice, so that's the the three-layer cake of giftedness. So if we're, when we're adding the twice exceptionality for a visual, are those like filler, like berries in the cake? Like, are there, like, (laughs) where do we put that in the cake? Like for our visual? The cherry on top. Such a good question. Such a good question. Um, I guess like in my chocolate cake, I'm going with chocolate chips, but you could go with berries. Right. Okay. It's sprinkled around. It's all, it's all you. Okay. So here's a great, here's a great thing. Our friend Susan Baum talks about Mm -hmm. it as the green learning challenge and the yellow gifted. And you can't look at either of them. You have to look at the green kid all together or adult, the person in front of you. You mm-hmm. cannot parse it apart and go, oh, I'm going to pick those nuts out of my cake. No, right. no. It's all mixed into the batter. Yes. Yes. You can't. Oh, where were you when I was writing the book, you Dan? Can't, you can't. I was right here. I was right here. <laughs> I, you can't. You can't. It's like the rest. You can't order that meal where you take out a piece of the ingredient when the chefs, they say, I'm sorry, it all comes together. It's already mixed together. You just can't take this stuff apart. Okay. So. Um, okay, one thought I had while you're talking, uh, Kazimierz Dombrowski, you talked about overexcitability and too much. And and the words are important because, as you point out, gifted and twice exceptional people are often told they're too much of something, like just overwhelming to others. Um, so I was told in Polish, and I have trouble saying this in English, that Dombrowski's word that got translated into overexcitability was super stimulate stimulatability, like super stimulated. So that's so I always knew that term, but I didn't know that came from Dombrowski. That's yes. awesome. Thank you for teaching me yes. that. Super stimulatability. It's also fun to say, and you feel a little bit you like Mary Poppins. You can yeah. say it, right? Oh, so I say it every day. Yes, yes. So we can say, so when we think about these, we want to help these kids and adults understand. They're not too much. They're, they might be a lot in certain situations, and we need to help them grow in that awareness, right? That intensity and that sensitivity. Yeah. Right, right. The meta, yes, this metacognition. But isn't a lot of this about understanding and acceptance? So, yes. And in fact, the book, as you know, is divided into three parts. Um, mirroring my cycle for success, as I call it. And it starts with understanding. Plus I'm called with understanding comes calm. So it kind of is my mantra. Understanding is the most important thing for everybody. All the people who are interacting with the 2E child and for the 2E child Mm themselves. Um, and so, you know, my theory is I circle the wagons of the grownups. I don't actually work with kids. I work with the parents. I work with adults. I work with teachers, clinicians, because the kids don't have the power. So I need my my grownups to have a deep understanding so that they can then positively reframe and talk with their child about their superpowers. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And yes, and for these kids to actually embrace them. Um, and I think what we see is early on, these bright kids are just exuberant and mostly shame free and they just go for it and they like themselves and they're just so engaged in the world. And then as they step into the world and in many cases, formalized education and they start to get feedback from their teachers and feedback from their peers, um, it starts to get chiseled away that like, that just that, that raw, Innocent. It's interesting. Love. Interesting. You you use that analogy of chiseling away. I call it layers of mud. They get mm. and and it's actually how do we chisel them away? But yes, mm-hmm. if you have confidence, it's chiseled away. If you think of it as they're throwing something at you, it's layers of mud, and layer after layer after layer. You know, we talk a lot in the in the two adult world about masking, 
Mm-hmm. And if you are told from a young age to stop being so, what you're saying is stop being your authentic self and, and try to be somebody else. Try to try to change yourself for the rest of the world as mm-hmm. opposed to, hey, here's how I'm perceiving you. Right. And is that what you want? Does that serve your goal? You know, that cost-benefit analysis. And maybe it does. A lot of 2 people don't like small talk. Tui kids don't like, you know, sometimes they don't turn their homework in or they don't like rote and boring material and so they don't do their homework or whatever it is. And, you know, that's a choice. And we need to kind of give this cost benefit analysis to tell them this is the world we live in and here's how it goes and it kind of stinks. But hey, does this serve you? Mm-hmm. And if so, okay. Mm-hmm. But now you're fully aware because the per- we're all bo- born looking through our own eyeballs. Right. That's our perspective. Mm-hmm. We don't get that the person sitting next to us isn't picking up and feeling our emotions like we are. We don't get that not everybody is totally excited about this thing we're learning in class, and I want to know everything I can possibly learn about it. And what? I'm interrupting? <laughs> right, right. You mean you don't want to just hear me talk about this for three hours? I don't understand. <laughs> You're not fascinated by sharks? Come yeah, on. Yeah, come on. And yeah, no, I'm not interested in what you have to say. I'm interested in telling you what I know. I just don't understand why I'm getting this negative feedback. Yes. Right. And then you get the negative feedback. And then instead of understanding that it's because you are taking over the conversation, the other person would like to have some time to say something. You didn't have that perspective. You didn't do it out of malice or because you're obnoxious. Mm-hmm. Or no. God forbid, oppositional defiant disorder. Don't even right. get me started. We're not even going on that train, <laughs> um, that label, um, which explain, which which describes but does not explain. We'll just leave it right there. Um, yeah. Well, well, let's just go. Let's go there with not that term, but so many of these kids are misunderstood. Their behavior is misunderstood yes. as difficult, as oppositional, yeah. as manipulative, manipulative, right. Right. When there's so much behind it. So tell us, talk, let's talk a little bit about what, what do we need to understand is behind the behaviors, which are, and legitimately can be difficult. Yeah, for yeah. sure. To unwanted. I call them unwanted. Unwanted. Behaviors. Okay. I like that. So I love this because this is now my very favorite thing to do in the entire world, which is reframe, positively reframe. And I will give you an example. I think it's in the book. It's, it's actually my first, first client ever. I remember this 10 years ago. Mm. She had this 14-year-old. He was in his classroom. And here's what she found out. The head of school called her, the principal, the learning specialist. Everybody was freaking out because this kid ran out of the classroom, ran out of the school. And oh my gosh, flight risk, danger role modeling for all the other kids, blah, blah, blah. So knowing that this child was actually an extraordinary extraordinary athlete, had a pretty severe um, reading difference, and um, could be emotionally overexcitable, feeling things very deeply, I, and he was actually in an anger phase, 14 is pretty, pretty well researched that there's some adolescence that starts coming out, all you parents out there of adolescence, you know what I'm talking about. And so I said to mom, so when you see him next, I want you to high five him. She was (laughs) like, wait, what? And I said, okay, let's just talk about what he didn't do. Did he throw anything, break anything, hurt anyone? No. Was he disrespectful? Did he say anything inappropriate? No. Was he flooded, overwhelmed, and potentially embarrassed as this incredible athlete who has a reading challenge and was probably asked to do something in his challenge area? And did he realize he needed to get the heck out of there before he did something worse? Yes. Mm-hmm. Now, of course, we have to go back and we have to figure out what the trigger was and we have to help him become meta to understand, here's what happened. People were actually worried about you. And weren't, couldn't understand why you did what right. you did. So right. now what's our plan next time when you feel that way? How can we avoid it next time? And you can apply this to anything, parent-child relationship, anything where there's misunderstanding. Yes, yes. Let's, um, let's talk about meta. We've used it a few times. Talk about what meta is and what the power of increasing metacognition, what that does in perspective taking and reframing. 
So meta is sort of in my, the way that I talk about it is understanding, understanding, sort of understanding yourself, understanding the way you present, having a deeper understanding. It's almost like having a camera that you're looking through, looking at yourself mm-hmm. and seeing exactly your, how you're perceived, what's happening, understanding how you present to the world, understanding not only but very important why you behave the way that you do, but how others perceive it. So in terms of understanding oneself, this makes me think of um, the work of a colleague of ours, Andy Mahoney, who did a lot of uh, work for years in gifted identity development, and then Mm -hmm. has um, also done a lot of work in uh, gifted adult ADHD. And I remember years ago, years ago, hearing him talk and him saying, let me tell you the difference between a successful person with ADHD and an unsuccessful person with ADHD. A successful person understands their profile, understands their strengths, understands their challenges, and has a plan for their challenges. He's like, it's Mm -hmm. that simple. He's like, he goes, this is me. He said, this is who I am. You see my beautiful uh, PowerPoint. You see that I'm here on time in the right room, in the right city, went to the right (laughs) airport. He said, I have supports in place to make sure that all that happens because I know myself well enough what happens if I don't. Yeah. So this idea of understanding our profile, this meta understanding, the understanding why we do things, our strengths, our challenges, I have found too in my work is like so critical. It's so critical to just having this knowledge. So yes, you can accept yourself, but understand yourself so you know how you might come across in the world and what, what, you, what comes easy to you and what actually is, is challenging. And what's really interesting is since twice exceptional ch- people are born gifted, people just think they can barrel through. Mm-hmm. They'll figure it out. Right. And it's actually even more pronounced that you're different mm-hmm. and that your experience is different than other people's. Yes, yes. Well, and this gets back to asynchronous development. So some of these examples. So you guys know these people. So you have this seven-year-old who is this amazing debater, analytical thinker, um, teaching you about wormholes, um, arguing and debating about stuff with you where you ultimately don't even know what you're debating anymore. They've, you've just been worn down. And you're like, wow, the power of this intellect and these verbal abilities and analytical skills and it's the same child who might have a full-blown meltdown like a three-year-old if they can't have dessert. And, yeah. and another yeah. example of the person who has this very, uh, very strong reader, very uh, strong verbal skills, and can't spell and you can't read their writing. Mm-hmm. And this is at a synchrony that at certain levels actually goes from a synchrony from the giftedness profile to actually a twice exceptional profile mm-hmm. because that asynchrony and that gap yeah. is so big, it really causes a lot of functional challenges. Well, so I can't believe I'm going to say this on your show, Dan, but yes. so, you know, it begs the question, if mm-hmm. my layer cake include, of giftedness includes asynchronous development, are not all gifted people twice exceptional? That's, well, that, that's interesting. And, and I've heard it in the sense of, aren't all profoundly gifted people twice exceptional because the there's such discrepancy yeah. between those high, high levels of um, intellect. And yeah. then it there's just a, a, a larger cliff. That's very interesting. Right? So for your listeners, we have gifted, highly gifted, and profoundly gifted. And sometimes there's even another layer yep. above that. But, there, but, but best practices dictates to differentiate for each of those within right. a self-contained gifted classroom, which is really interesting. So to put it that way, that just means the asynchrony is even more pronounced, I guess, which is an interesting way to ask it. Yeah. Right. And this is, to be fair, this is a debate that we all continue to have in the field of how much asynchrony is typical human development or maybe mm-hmm. not typical, but expected human development. Mm-hmm. And then where does it topple into an actual label, which then 
put you in the twice exceptional. Well, and the great thing about what I do and my non-psychologist self is I get to focus on the now what, which is yes. what I, where I really right. live, which yes. is the now what. Well, and your book, but you know, one of the main goals of your book, which you accomplished was to pack it with um, strategies. 200 uh, pages, baby. Yeah, of strategies, not <laughs> just explanation. And then, oh, here's the one chapter on what you can do about it. Like yeah, it's, no, it's no. filled with here are tons of things to do. And it's basically, I mean, we've known each other a long time. I've known you over the years as your practice has grown. And I was just really, I was smiling as I was reading, like you put it all into your book, like all of your secret sauce it's, it's like, here, everyone, here it is. You don't have to just make an appointment to learn these skills. It's accessible to everyone who can have access to the written or now uh, auditory Audio. version of the book. Yes. Yeah, well, that was the goal. And I even say in the very beginning, I used to go to these conferences and I'd be like, we'd get, to, it was a 50 minute presentation and the person would say, oh shoot, we have 10 minutes. Let me give you the strategies. And I'd want to like pull my hair out. And so from that, that moment on, that first moment of frustration, I promised myself I would always be minimum 60, 40, 60% strategies, 40% theory. And the book is literally 60%, two, 200 pages are strategies. And it's very important to have that deep understanding. So I talked about the cycle for success before the cycle of those three steps are understanding mm -hmm. strategies and advocacy. And that's how the book is structured. And that's how my practice is structured. And I'm only me. So I did want to put everything. You're right. My entire practice, yeah. what I do is yes. in that book. Yes. And what I, and what I didn't mention at the outset, which I was going to is we did our first show together um, it, I can't believe it's 2018, right? So five, wow. a little, it's a little over five years ago. And that show, which you guys should all take a listen to called With Understanding Comes Calm. That is where you rolled out your praise model, which is yeah. in the book. And people praise stands for personal connection, reframe, anticipate, incentive and choices, sense of humor and exercise. And mm -hmm. That was so it's just it's awesome to see the development like that. That was that was the gift you were offering five years ago. And now that gift is one of many um, ideas and strategies that you have been developing in your practice over the years and over hundreds of and hundreds of co consultations speaking and and really diving deep and seeing what works, what actually works. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it's filled, the book is filled, as you know, with anecdotal evidence, which was, which was really fun to uh, put in there, including photos and poetry and lots of cool stuff that, that my clients uh, agreed to share. But that praise model stands for those six categories. So what I fleshed out over the years, and I've been doing this close to 10 years, is I fleshed out the strategies under each of those categories. So there's you know, three or four under personal connection, reframe is there's an exercise and there are 25 worksheets at the back to help you work through them. Mm. Very practical. <laughs> what would you say, um, and, and very action-based, which is, which is what you do, like, right? Like you're about making it happen. So yep. what would you say, and I, I know this is a big question that I'm asking for simplification here. What are some of the main core strategies or concepts that you would say in your experience, because there's so many in the book, which is like, these are, these really are pivotal. Like they really can be game changers that when you get those aha responses from parents or that email feedback, like, oh my gosh, like this has made such a huge difference. So I'm going to share two with you. Um, and like you said, there are many, many more, but mm -hmm. Um, it's funny that you said secret sauce before, because that's what I say. There are no magic bu magic bullets, but I'm going to give you the secret sauce. And actually, the secret sauce is a strategy I made up called noticing verbs, verbs like not nouns, but verbs. And this is how we focus on the effort of our child. So you want your, you have this 
behavior in your head, the first thing you do is you think about a behavior you want to encourage. So I want to encourage my kid to bring their backpack in. And instead of throwing it into the foyer or into the living room, I want them to actually go to the closet and hang it on the hook that's there and take out their lunchbox and do all those great things that I don't have to do it for them. And so I tell my kid this and they don't do it. And then one day magically it happens, or perhaps you use another strategy in the book of how to kind of set expectations, which is a very big strategy of how to set up expectations based on responsibilities. But in this case, so he does this wonderful thing and you say, Hey, I noticed that when you got out of the car, you walked into the house, verb number one, you went over to the closet, verb number two, you opened the closet, verb number three, you took your backpack, hung it on the hook, verb number four, and you, you just keep saying all the efforts and actions that the child did. You took out your lunchbox, you walked over to the island, whatever. Okay. Why am I making such a big deal about this? Well, we know that TUI kids are redirected 40 more times in a typical classroom than neurotypical kids. They're constantly told, why won't you? When will you? Why can't you? Why don't you? It's a song (laughs) that people (laughs) sing to our TUI kids. Yeah. So when we notice effort, no matter how simple or complex, it's salve to that wound. Now, notice, Dr. Dan, I did not say thank you to my child. I did not say I'm proud of you, my child. And I don't want my clients to do that when they're noticing verbs because this is not about who? This is not about me. You're not doing this for me. You're doing this because you're supposed to do this. This is a thing that we've identified as a responsibility. You're supposed to do it. And now I know in my mind that my beautiful, brilliant child can't always do these easy things. So I'm going to notice those efforts. Very often clients will tell me that their kids end up saying thank you (laughs) Mm. when their parents do this. Mm. So there are different nuanced ways of doing this, but noticing verbs, noticing the effort, focusing on the effort, it's huge. It's Mm -hmm. huge for your kids. And it's a reframe for you instead of focusing. Sometimes when I teach the strategy, parents cry because they're like, oh my God, I'm only focusing on what they don't do. I'm never focusing on what they do do. Right. So that's number one. The, uh, another one is what I call the parent pivot. So instead of solving a problem, telling the child what to do, we ask questions in a way that it leads them to learn the conclusion themselves. So sometimes I talk about, and I have clients stand up and put their arms in front of them and swing their arms out. This, there's all this space in front of you, right? Do it. Maybe you're listening now. You'll do that yourself. Put your arms out and spread them out wide. There's that space. If I go into that space and I say, oh my gosh, you had a bad day today. Your teacher wouldn't let you hand in your homework because you just told me because it was in your locker. Oh my gosh, why didn't you bring it in? Why didn't you remember? I gave you that file. Don't you remember? Here's what you should do. I have filled that space. If, however... I validate another strategy and reiterate what happened for the child so they know I've heard them and they're understood, they're seen, they're heard. And then I ask them, hmm, I wonder why she got so upset that you didn't hand in your homework. And then the child has space to answer and say, well, actually, she told us 10 minutes in that we should, but I was talking to my friend, so I didn't. Now, all of a sudden, you have information and the child all of a sudden is thinking and aware of what happened. And now you say, hmm, I wonder how that could go differently next time. What do you wish happened? What do you think you could do next time? When you do those things, when you do that parent pivot from telling and solving Mm -hmm. to asking and leading, Mm. independence, critical thinking, uh, just all sorts of ways of solving their own problems, teaching a lagging skill Mm -hmm. occur. Yes. Yes. And I'm, I'm thinking about, as you're talking, the developmental trajectory of the growing brain and how it really, it just takes a while for are these brains to grow and to integrate. And I had this experience yesterday. I, I uh, had a meeting with a senior in high school. I hadn't seen him, a twice exceptional um, individual. I, I evaluated him in second grade, identified highly gifted ADHD, dyslexia, dysgraphia. Then I worked with him a little bit. Um, we did some counseling, worked with him a little bit in seventh grade. So maybe sixth grade was the last time. And like everything was like going in a hundred different directions, right? Like you had tutors and you didn't want to have tutors and school was hard. And 
this all of a sudden, so he reached out to t- ask if I could help him explain who he is to the universities and his profile to distinguish himself. And this is this guy who is completely focused, completely self-driven. Um, and it's not about this, but a four point something um, playing lacrosse. And but I could not believe what the person that was in front of me was the same person. And mm-hmm. it was just like, oh, my gosh, the development. The, the, and when I asked him, you know, what what happened? And he said, well, in COVID, I realized I didn't have anything to do. So I might as well start to apply myself with my learning. He said, so that's when I started making myself sit down for a certain amount. Like he developed his own strategies and he said, it wasn't until high school that I did well in an AP class and I really realized that I was capable. And from there, I just went with it. And I, I'm just like, it just filled me up. So I want to say to everyone, like, in, if you just focus on the moment and the difficulty of your child's complex development it can be completely overwhelming. Like we understand that both personally as parents and also through our clientele. And to try to have that focus on the long game, right? The long game of what we're trying to cultivate in our kids as they become young adults and adults. Yeah. And I'm going to say with that example, which is beautiful, is that if a parent had said, hey, why don't you schedule your day and for 30 minutes a day, learn blah, blah, blah. It probably wouldn't have happened. I don't know how this kid came up with it on his own, but there might have been role modeling. There might have been good questions asked. I don't know. But the other thing I want to say to parents, because this is a really beautiful success story and we're not always in a success story moment, Mm -hmm. is that the timeline for Tui kids is very different. Yes. Very different. So whether, you know, your brilliant kid gets the gift of extra time and has another year or two or a gap year or two, Mm -hmm. that's okay. It's all about really bottom line. The secret to life is feeling good in your skin. Mm. That's the most important thing. I love that. And you just triggered for me, you said skin, which, um, which triggered for me the reminder that I wanted to mention the beautiful quote that you put in your book from Wendy Mogul, author of Blessings of a Skinned Knee. And it mm-hmm. just it just really speaks to the approach that you use and what you, you write about. Um, here's the quote. One of the most generous gifts you can give your child is to study her temperament. And once you've learned it, work to accept it. Yeah. It's a great book, Blessing of a Skinned Knee. And how much... You know, just to take this this leap as we're getting closer, to winding down here is, you know, with your newer um, group membership for two e adults, Haystack. Yeah, how important it is for adults to accept themselves. Oh yeah, you know, we're always talking about this: accept your kids, accept your kids, accept your kids, which is not easy a lot of the time. But what about accepting ourselves and the the tremendous significant impact of that? So funny thing, at the time of this recording, it was last night that we had our very first Haystack live meeting and people were weeping because they've never felt seen or heard. They haven't been with other people where they don't have to explain themselves and they don't have to feel weird. And and Tui kids all grown up, you know, they've masked for a long time and it's exhausting. Mm-hmm. But I'm going to actually switch it, if I can, Dan, to yeah. parents and mm-hmm. feeling how you feel about your parenting. Mm-hmm. The last chapter of my book is a day in the life of a Tui child. And I literally go through a day in the life and all the micro stresses and traumas that Tui kids feel and experience. Um, and I pretty much end the book by saying, you are the just right parent for your kid. I believe that parents choose, their children choose their parents. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And so there's something we have to learn from our kids and there's some way that we can grow together. And if we are constantly in the future or if we're constantly in the past, I always say to my clients, there is no use for a rear view mirror. We don't even use them in cars anymore. We have backup cameras. So like, don't look in your rear view mirror. Just, you got to face forward. Mm Mm-hmm. You have to take care of you and all the cliche things you hear about taking care of yourself, but be in just this moment right now with your kid. If he, she, they are melting down, 
then it has nothing to do with you. It has to do with them. And how can you just be there in that moment? And that means you are doing the best parenting that you can just by maybe sitting with that kid and being there with them. Yes. When you feel doubts about yourself, that's okay to feel doubts about yourself because life, you know what? Here's what I'm going to tell you. <laughs> I think I say this in the book. I'm not sure, but I say this a lot, which is that place, Dan, wh- that we all want to get to, that plateau, you know, where everything's easy. We're chugging along. It's not hard. We don't mm-hmm. have pitfalls. That's the afterlife. The life right now, that's the struggle. And it's not what happens to you. It's how you handle it that mm-hmm. matters. Mm-hmm. Resilience. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, resilience. <sighs> things that fill our resilient bucket and mm-hmm. things that empty our resilience yes. bucket. Which is also in your book. <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay. There's book. a lot of stuff in there, everyone. <laughs> okay, Julie, it's time for your second round of the parent footprint moment question. Oh. Here we go. I about this. Yes, I know. We, we're keeping it raw and just we'll see what happens here. Okay. All right. Tell us about a time that you became aware of yourself as an individual, as a parent, or even an awareness of your own parents, and that new awareness had a positive impact on your life, your kids, and or those you love. Okay. Crazy what popped into my brain. Are you ready? I'm ready. I'm not sure anybody's heard this story before. This is a memory from when I was three. Mm. I was going to say, I'm not going to tell you where I was, but I will because now that I said I won't tell you, you're all going, (laughs) where was she? So I was in the bathroom. I was three. And I was thinking to myself, what is my purpose? There must be a reason we're all here. Hmm. What am I supposed to do? And I think, Dan, though, I've never really thought about it before until you asked that question. And with my eyes closed, that image came up. Hmm. I think it has made me driven to find purpose, driven to do the thing that needs to get done, driven to want to make a difference, driven to um, lift up when I can, and to decide that my actions should reverberate. Hmm. I think that's, that's what that brought up for me. Beautiful. Age three, pondering the <laughs> purpose of your being on this it was a planet. Very big, it was a very big question. I remember wow. feeling very overwhelmed and being yeah. like, whoa. You know, yeah. like you almost have this out of body, like, where did that come from? Oh yes. man. You know, yes. and and it could and for our existential kiddos, right. that can be debilitating. Yes. I probably yeah. then just decided to go eat my three layer cake. So I was okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, you, um, that, that explains at least some of your, your drive and your passion and your mission driven work. That's yeah. Thank you for sharing that with all thank of us. Thank you for bringing yeah. that memory up. Yeah. See, it's so <laughs> great when it's raw. You just never know what's going to, what's going to go. Bing. Okay. Yeah. Well, so, This show is coming out just at the release of your book. So tell everyone, I know it's, you know, we can pre-order, but tell everyone everything that they need to know about your book, your organization, and your offerings. Thank you, Dan, for asking that question. Okay, so the easiest thing to do, guys, is go to withunderstandingcomescalm.com. And there you'll find all the things, the free newsletter also called Gifted and Distractable that Dan talked about. You can subscribe there um, and it's free. And giftedanddistractable.com is a page on my website where you can order the book, but you can order it anywhere that you want to order it. Um, If you pre-order, you can upload your receipt there and get an invitation to an exclusive Q&A with me in November. But don't worry if this is after the release date and you didn't pre-order, I'm going to be launching a course in the beginning of the year that will go along with it so that we can kind of hold each other's hand and walk through those 200 pages of strategies. Um, If you would like to schedule a free 20-minute phone consultation with me, that is Julie Skolnick, S-K-O-L-N-I-C-K.com forward slash 20 min, as in 20 minutes. 
And other than that, support it with understanding comes calm. Media uh, with understanding comes calm. Those are places to learn stuff about me. If you go to my website, guys, just one warning, pack snacks. <laughs> it's been Lots nine of years. Stuff. Lots of it's stuff. It's been nine years of yeah. a blog a month and all sorts yeah. of other things. So there's tons there for parents, two adults, teachers, which I do training for teachers. Um, and if you'd like me to come and speak to your people, whoever they are, just reach out. I'd be delighted. Bring snacks. I like that. <laughs> <laughs> and um, if you want to hear Julie talk the book to you, you can get an audio version and she will yeah. be talking to you for hours about all of this stuff right in your ear. Yes. And yeah. I, I actually put on my little acting hat and I do different voices. <laughs> and there's there's a surprise I'm not going to tell you about, but there's a comparison of parents to a car alarm in there, which is really... We were all dying. It was pretty hysterical. <laughs> something extra. Something extra. <laughs> Julie, pleasure as always. And uh, yeah. I'll look forward to when we are in the same room once again someday. Can't wait. Thank yeah. you, Dan, so yeah. much for the super important, beautifully described footprint, parenting footprint. I love it. I love it. So thank you so much for having me on today. You know what to do, everyone. Share this conversation with everyone in your family and life and community that you think will benefit. Thank you for being a part of our community and bringing your wonderful people to our community. We so appreciate your five-star reviews. They really matter and make a difference. Do your best to be that person you want your child to become and ask yourself the guiding question I ask myself each day. What footprint do you want to leave? This has been a Peters and Rossi production. Parent Footprint with Dr. Dan is produced by Laura Rossi. Our engineer is Phil Rossi. Theme music is Strummerman, composed and performed by ProTunes. Artwork is by Garrett Ross. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Parent Footprint Podcast and on Twitter at Dr. Dan Peters. For more information, go to exactlyrightmedia.com. Follow Parent Footprint with Dr. Dan on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you like to listen so you don't miss an episode. If you like what you hear, rate and review the show.